Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch. I am your host, Sarah M. Chapel, and if I've done my calendaring correctly, this is our first episode of 2021. So welcome. I hope everything is magically different now. But really, uh, this is a great episode for us to kick off the new year with. Um, I'm joined today with Scout Chavers. Scout is an intuitive healer, generational doula, and somatic guide based in Austin, who I had the pleasure of getting to know over the past year and who does like just the most remarkable work in the areas of relationship, birth work, and I mean, I, I can't, I don't even want to try to explain all of the nuance and beautiful connections between your stuff. I'm going to just be like, Scout, who are you and what do you do? And welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I love this space and all of that you've, all that you've cultivated in it. And yeah, I, I just like to think of myself as an intuitive indigenous healing guide, definitely a full spectrum and, uh, just entire human experience doula. Um, I think people are used to hearing birth doula or they're getting somewhat used to hearing birth doula, but I like to consider myself just a doula for people throughout their whole life, whether they are changing their relationship, transitioning in their family, transitioning where they live. Um, they're in some sort of life transition or business transition, and I am there to usher them through it um, in an energetic and spiritual way using my my intuitive skills and my, my witchiness. So I think that tends to like blanket cover all of the, <laughs> the work that I do. So for you, I think you alluded to this, but I'd love to hear a little bit more explicitly. Uh, what does it mean to be a doula then? Yeah, um, for, for me, be, and this can change, I guess, for a lot of people, but just um, this is lineage work. This is ancestral work. This is soul work for me. Being a doula is really just anchoring down and holding space for people as they transition and um, go through some sort of um, life or human experience that is usually incredibly impactful and creates a portal for change. And so this is mostly used in the birth world. Um, a birth doula is someone that really does not only help prepare you for your experience of birth, but also is there with you side by side throughout as an emotional, uh, energetic and spiritual anchor. Um, and also there with like a toolbox, both metaphorically and sometimes um, literally um, to just help support you, um, help ground you through your experience. And, and I like to, I don't like to identify as a healer personally, that never really resonated with me. Um, I like to, uh, what resonates with me is that I like to support people through their self-initiated healing. Mm. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah, that, that, that subtle shift that when we make that in language where, you know, you're not the person who's healing them, right? They have to do that work themselves. Yes, exactly. I mean, who am I to heal anyone? Really? It's right. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm, I'm still working on healing myself. So um, <laughs> I just so happen to know some things that uh, I, I like to try to, to try to lead and provide a little bit of light on your path. But um, who am I to not only know your path, but, but to say that I can forge it for you. Um, it's really your own journey. And I'm there to help, you know, provide a little light at your feet. Mm. You mentioned this as being an ancestral work and kind of intergenerational work for you. Can you share a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, um, my mother uh, is a birth worker. My mother delivered babies for over 25 years. Um, wow. <laughs> and yeah, so she, I grew up with her doing that. I mean, she was back uh, delivering babies six weeks after I was born. So uh, right. she was, yeah, she's yeah. she's out there. She's definitely doing, did that work. She's, she did it for most of her life. She just recently retired. But uh, my grandmother was also, I call her a doula before there was a word for doula. Um, She was the breastfeeding consultant before there was a word for that. Um, My grandmother was the woman on the street who uh, taught everyone how to hold their babies and would also just keep all the babies on the street um, while people went to work and and was just someone who ushered people through their family experience um, and really helped normalize uh, newborns for families that didn't know. what what or felt like they didn't know what they were doing so i really feel indoctrinated into this work um and i do receive a lot of the the knowledge from from memories from intuition um as well as just from indigenous skill sets that i really feel like are just flowing through my own my own blood and magic so was it a very natural step for you to to do this work or did you uh, have a uh... Um, uh, this is a leading question. Or did you have a <laughs> a venture into another realm <laughs> yeah. first? I mean, yeah, yeah, yes and no, right? Yes and no, um, not at all. I think people also hear that they're like, "Oh, third generation birth worker, like you must have just easily fallen into this work." And it's like that is not at all how that happened. Um, I am innately rebellious. I constantly push against the envelope and the system. I am all about that uh, in every way of my life. And so naturally as a child, I was like, absolutely not. I will not do this. Um, I, you know, I will, I have a different path. And so I ended up um, going to art school after my incredibly disciplined academic career in college preparatory school from the fourth to 12th grade. Um, I then broke free and liberated into art school um, and just fell in love uh, in my high school years with darkroom photography, which uh, catapulted me into art school and college. Um, and I pivoted into a lot of graphic design, marketing, and really, of course, in my type A Virgo mind was like, how can I make art useful? How can I make this useful? Um, you know, so I'm just trying to get into a lot of communications work, uh, which is what I spent a good handful of my 20s doing while also dabbling um, into going to births for friends and and um, helping people through their, their life transitions, including just transitions into grief and death um, throughout that time and then realizing what was truly, truly calling to me. How did you start to make that transition? I'm, I find transition moments fascinating and based on your line of work, I imagine you do as well. But you know, was there was it more of like a slow awakening, or when did you realize, like, oh, I am I am a third generational birth worker and doula. I, 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 it's time for me to step into this. Yeah, it was very slow at first, but then I mean, it's it's like gradually, then suddenly, right? Like it's it happens slowly, and then all of a sudden, it's here. Um, I it was burnout, um, which is why so much so much of my work, I think, is to help people not only avoid burnout, but also when it happens, accept it and learn how to deal with it. Um, because I was burnt out. I worked in marketing. I worked um, in advertising. I worked around the clock. I regularly stayed at work past seven o'clock p.m. 
And the one thing that was like my lifeline was that my job gave us a free Gold's Gym membership um, (laughs) as like an incentive to stay working there. They were like, here you go. And we just so happened to have our office uh, share a parking lot with a Gold's Gym. So I would go to the yoga class at Gold's Gym um, on my lunch break. I would leave the office and go for lunch and take yoga. And when I started to follow my joy and when I started to find those pockets of happiness, I realized it was was in those moments of yoga. So I started to go to yoga more. I started pursuing um, yoga teacher training. And it was actually in my 200-hour teacher training that I also pursued a prenatal postnatal um, teacher training mm-hmm. and started because, I mean, I can't do just one thing at one time <laughs> ever. So I started doing that at the same time. And it was in that that people started asking me like, oh, are you a doula? People just assumed like, you're a doula. Oh, like Scout's a doula. Like, you know this, like you seem to know the answer to a lot of these questions. And, um, you know, I just started to realize like, oh, I, I do know the answers to a lot of these questions. I do have a lot of insight for people um, and just experience from seeing all of the births, all of the postpartums, all of the bodies. I had a lot of hands-on experience that a lot of people uh, wanted insight from. And so I just, that was really my wake-up call. My my light bulb turned on where it's like, I had many of my mentors come to me and they were like, you've been doing this. You are doing this. So if you start d- doing this, it's just really you making the decision. Like you're going to dedicate more of your time, energy, and effort into making this um, your job. And that is what I started to do. Hey, I love those moments when, you get that, that kind of like, it's like the, the external affirmation happened almost first. Like people yeah. are like seeing something in you and you're like, I don't know. I mean, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then even like my friends who would get pregnant, they'd be like, I mean, I figured I'd call you. And I'm like, part of me is like, why? And then I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I do have insight for you. I'm not sure. Like, you know, that imposter syndrome comes in super, super hard. And so um, it was a little bit of that until yes, you're right. It's the external validation and, and having the, the beautiful ability for my community to lean on me. And I realized like, wow, I want so badly to help my community and I want so badly to show up. And I didn't realize that I was kind of already showing up. Um, and I didn't have to work, work harder. I just needed to work smarter. So, <laughs> so I was going to say, like, I'm wrapping up a round of burnout. That doesn't yeah. sound <laughs> putting a nice little bow on it. <laughs> just, just, just wrapping it up. It's not quite what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I, I found myself right back in that place this year, um, this summer and have been like kind of having a very, having memories of, of that, that kind of those corporate job lives, those marketing job lives, which I know is a shared, a shared past experience that both of us have. I'm kind of curious how now, because that is part of your work, um, for helping other people, but also for yourself, how do you run a business with so many different facets and, and so much community care and support and support you? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. I have strict boundaries. That's usually my first and foremost answer. I, um, I have strict boundaries, but I also try really hard and you were, you were a huge, um, proponent in this for me, but I try really hard to weave in my productivity with my self-care. Um, I try to make things as efficient as possible, as well as if I'm going to create something or if I'm going to do something for my business, I try to seamlessly create it in a space where it won't be as much of a challenge to me, whether that's how I make my workflow, whether that's when I decide to work, um, if regular work hours don't seem to work for me that day, that week, that month. Um, but I really just try to 
submit to my flow and then weave things into into that. So um, I have strict boundaries around like, you know, I want people to feel they can lean on me. And I do sort of have an open door policy, which does not work for everyone. But around that open door policy, I have strict boundaries of like when I may or may not answer your email, Um, when I... I I definitely, you helped me a lot with being strict around my boundaries of client facing days and inward facing days um, for my own stuff and my own work and the many facets of my business that people don't see um, that I need to give time and attention to. But I also weave in my self-care, for example, right now, um, talking to you, I am in my bed. I am (laughs) laying down horizontal, uh, just talking to you and just relaxing because this is the first day in about two months that I have been able to sleep in. And I told myself, wow, I have the ability to take all of my calls today from my bed. So I'm going to do so. Um, I really try wow, to um, it. leave it in however I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I love that because it's like, we don't, that the false um, priority of professionalism that I think can be easily carried over into our businesses. Like I love like hearing you be like, here's a different way. And I can literally be in bed and still being showing up, show up for my customers, my clients that can serve. And I could be in bed. It's like, yes, you can. I mean, yes. I'm like, my secret's out because I've had three client calls today and no one knew I was in my bed. So, um, and I do do video calls, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's very much what, what helps things work, but also like people really just would like for you to show up. Um, and they also, I, I am lucky enough to have built a business around being myself and I honestly refuse to do it any other way. So, um, that is also something you helped me with. Um, and something that I like to, I like to say all the time to people that I work with is if you're not turning, you know, if you're not turning someone off, you're probably not turning anyone on either. So um, it's, I I am not for everyone, but uh, I like to come to the forefront with who I am as a human. And um, that way, when I act, uh, when I act in line with being a human, people are not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy to hear that. (laughs) just like seriously fills me with joy thank you for sharing and uh, a good reminder for me as well I still get a little tripped up sometimes I'm like oh I'm a human what happens if I behave like one will I be fired (laughs) yes will they not like me and it's like I think I just hear that so so much from Mm -hmm. people all the time even when I'm leading public classes like I will come very authentic to the space if I ask people to check in and let me know how they're feeling I also come to the forefront and tell people how I'm feeling and most of the time people will say like, we had no idea that you were feeling tired today, or we had no idea you were feeling low energy, but I also just come to the forefront and I give away my secret because I want people to know that yes, even when I'm tired, I still have the ability to show up for you sometimes. And when I don't like, that's the time when I can't show up. And I just want people to see it all in their humanity. My process is not always sunshine and rainbows. And I think that's important to show and normalize. It really is. And this, this kind of feels like a really natural segue to where you shared with me before we hopped on that your work is increasingly kind of focused on interpersonal relationships and that ability in both your business. I can only imagine how that transfers into for you personally, but also with the clients that you support there, like how much more powerful and potent our relationships are when we actually start from this place of like, I'm talking to another human right now. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. And, and that's for like all relationships, like work relationships, romantic relationships, um, any type of partnership is just when you start. And I think it starts honestly with you. It starts with you recognizing your own humanity, because what people don't realize about a lot of a lot of trauma work and just a lot of work with humans in general is that it all starts with us. And when we have the ability to dehumanize someone, whether through it's through judgment um, or anything else, uh, we're actually having the ability to do that with ourselves. And it usually means we're so practiced at doing it with ourselves that we have the ability to hurl it and direct it at someone else as well. Yeah. And so once we start breaking down that space and, and ex, uh, extending that compassion to ourselves, it becomes easier to extend to other people, whether we know their situation or not, but especially to those who are um, deeply connected to us and that we have a bond with. So can you share with us a little bit about what you've been working on this year and, and, where, and where you're heading in your business? Because you have just like so many like, very exciting projects that I want to hear about. <laughs> yes, very exciting things. I, I've always been kind of like a rogue sex educator, um, both with like, you know, teenagers. Um, I used to work with teenagers a handful of years ago when I was working my way through college and also um, mainly in the last uh, couple of years with adults, um, a lot of sex education, a lot of sensuality, uh, reclamation work, uh, things of that nature. And I've realized, although I've used to keep a lot of that work separate from my birth work and from my consultation work, um, I've realized, especially in the pandemic, that these things have started to merge together. Um, a lot of my work with uh, families who are starting to have children or be pregnant, a lot of my doula work, and even my prenatal consultations with my doula clients have turned into couples work uh, this mm. year, has turned into a lot of discussion of what is your relationship shifting into? How is intimacy going to look different, uh, differently after you have a baby? And, you know, when you don't always have time or space or even the, the uh, bandwidth to extend physical touch, what else can that look like? And so as I'm starting to break these things down with these couples, I'm really realizing that a lot of other relationships are starting to shift into my realm. And so aside from compartmentalizing, you know, um, my usual work in the, in the ethical non-monogamy uh, realm, in the polyamory realm, um, and even in the sex education realm, it's all just starting to merge and bleed into my birth work, into um, even my my doula work uh, in mentoring other doulas and how their relationships are with themselves, how their relationships are with their lovers. Um, and so I'm just finding that once again, it's coming full circle back to the same lesson, humans are humans. And um, we all just need this type of connective work. And so uh, with a lot of this liberation work that I like to, I like to call it, um, I am definitely working on a couple of projects for 2021 that I'm very excited about, both virtual and some um, are COVID compliant in person. Um, but I'm I'm happy to be doing a little um, retreat over Valentine's Day weekend um, that is uh, for BIPOC couples, uh, that is Black Indigenous people of color. So if you know anyone in that realm, I'm, I have a huge passion specifically to talking to um, Black and Indigenous uh, relationships um, and just cultivating that, that love and, and really breaking down a lot of uh, what the American culture tends to project onto us. Um, but I just find that a lot of these projects are really the rebirth of my business. It's the rebirth of, of um, really the work that I, a lot of the work, once again, that I've done with you of facing 
loving myself and realizing that I don't have to cut myself into all of these tiny pieces um, to be accepted by people. And really that work has turned outward into me talking to people and reminding people that you do not have to cut yourself into tiny pieces to be loved by other people and to be loved by yourself. And that you as your whole self, your shadow and your light are here to be seen and witnessed and accepted and loved. Um, And so I found that once again, all my inner work is starting to kind of turn itself inside out and project onto the outside. Um, well, first of all, let's make sure we will get that link and put it in the show notes for the retreat so folks can oh, yeah, check that out. And you know, there's it's there's something that's like funny thing that we do in our businesses a lot of times, or when we have multiple areas of interest, where I think we tend to think that they're somehow unrelated. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. like, like, you know, and whereas, yeah, and it might be, they might be different disciplines, per- perhaps, but there's always at the at level one, there is the the human connection of it being like, well, it's your area of interest. So you inherently are connecting the, these things by being you and being the the vessel that is that is exploring all of them. But I find most often, more often than not, these these things are not separate at all. That we are actually like completely integrated, even in our multidisciplinary and multi passionate pursuits. And I love that that's starting to come back around. And I I saw some beautiful words you shared. Maybe you can kind of speak a little bit more to this about sexuality and, and and work and birth work being the same thing, <laughs> which first of all, when you said it though, I almost laughed out loud. I was like, yes, because all those babies, where do they come yeah. from? <laughs> precisely, <laughs> precisely. So can you tell us a little bit more about, about how you're tying those pieces together? Because I do, that does seem like such a cultural, weird, weird thing that we've done where we're like, babies happened over here. Yeah. It's like motherhood is this like Pinterest, like, you know, pink and blue bows, like you should have no sexual desires. You should be covered up. You shouldn't even let people see your breasts when you're breastfeeding. Like there's all of this, like just very, very uh, stigmatized um, view of, of birth and even, even gendered view of birth. um, Right. Even, even when we say things like breastfeeding, um, and so I, I definitely think it's hilarious because, yeah, it's like, where did all the babies come from? And that's usually what people tell me whenever they're like, oh, I never thought of that. Um, and I used to be in that camp of like, I need to keep this separate because for some reason, these people who, you know, are having babies obviously don't want to talk to me about sex. Um, and then it always ends up happening. But I think that also when we're talking about like transition, birth, rebirth, all of these things, some people, because you haven't experienced a lot of birth or people haven't been in birth rooms unless they have a family member, it's not something that's really um, indoctrinated into our culture anymore to where we watch um, other people, like birthing people in our families have babies. Um, but a birth room, it, I mean, the sounds that come from a birth room, the energy that comes from a birth room, it is very similar to the energy that indoctrinated that, that, that soul, that spirit, that energy into that womb. Um, and so um, my mom used to always say it. I mean, she's the energy that gets the baby in also gets the baby out. And um, that's why, you know, even in my birth work, a lot of it is a lot of relationship work. It's a lot of me um, cultivating and holding sacred space for these two or even more people to hunker down together in their energetic space and breathe together and move together and gaze into each other um, to make it through this portal of transition. And it is very similar when we are having sex. It is very similar when we are um, in a birth space. I'm so excited to, for 
I mean, just to keep thinking about that, but, but for that to continue to unfold in your work, cause it is, it's like the, I mean, I know it's like very like puritanical, right? That's like, <laughs> sex is like a, this, this like false separation. Um, but I can only imagine the, the, uh, integrated intimacy that can emerge when when the people who are in part of that birth experience are able to actually fully tie that back to their entire relationship and not just have it be like and now there's a baby <laughs> <laughs> yes and now there's something else here um no i that's really important for for me to to make sure that space is held um with people that i work with is that this is a a meeting of of the energies of a beloved moment that you and your beloved had together um and that led to this space, right? And it doesn't even matter what that moment looks like because I feel like some people right now are just imagining sex, right? They're just imagining like, okay, well, what does that moment look like? Um, but it looks different for everyone. And um, intimate moments also look different for everyone. And all of this still applies even in my personal experience, like when I go to surrogate births and mm -hmm. when I go to you know adoption-based births and uh, just, just any and all of these spaces um, um, that the human human experience is very, very intricate and complicated while also being incredibly simplistic at the exact same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're so good at being complicated and simple. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And living in that paradigm, right? It never, mm -hmm. it never ends. Yeah. Something that I remember us talking about several like, like several months ago, several years ago. Was it years ago now, Scott? <laughs> I really am very confused about years what, ago. what yeah. <laughs> it was year, it was probably years ago in, in like April or something um, years ago <laughs> that part of what you've been doing this year as well. And I mean, we're hearing it in, in the, the clarity of, of how your vision is integrating, but it's been stepping into a real leadership and mentorship role in your community too. And, and starting to use this, this generational and, and intuitive knowledge to support other doulas and other you know, healing facilitators to step into their own space. What is that looking like right now? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, that was also a very scary place to step into for me just, um, in terms of, you know, that shedding that imposter syndrome. But it's so much power came from it because, um, you know, the, the, the soul of a, of a teacher, the seed of the teacher is ever moving. You know, I just, I, I facilitate mentoring spaces so that I can also learn, but be able to pass on all the vast information I feel privileged to have. I feel privileged that I have gotten to experience as much birth and transition um, as I have in my life. And I cannot do this alone. We all need to be doing this. I always say in a perfect world, everyone would be a doula, but also, um, you know, like there's enough space and enough work for all of us to, to, to be working, but in a perfect world, we wouldn't need doulas. Um, I love doula. I love doing work where I am actively trying to work myself out of the job. And I yes. am very excited that I happen to live in a culture that, I mean, it seems to be doing a great job of making sure I'm always working. Um, but, uh, my goal is to work myself out of a job and I'm just wanting to teach one each one. And so right now that, um, this year that has looked like, um, me forming uh, what I like to refer to as the Wild Awake Doula community. And that um, was a small group of doulas that I had the pleasure of mentoring 
um, whether they were already in a doula training or they had already gone through a doula training and were just lost and, and needing some sort of help. And whether that help was in, I need more experience, I need more knowledge, or um, the help was in, I have no idea how to build my website. I have no idea what I'm doing on Instagram. Um, I just wanted to be there as someone who spends probably way too much time on social media. And as someone who um, has some expertise in these spaces, I want to get out as much as I can. And um, as I said, work smarter uh, and be able to pass this on so that we can get more work done and there can be more help. Um, so that was a one small, uh, small founder circle is what I call them. Um, and I was very grateful to be working with them over a four to five month period. Um, and that will be reopening. The circle will be reopening in January, 2021, towards the end of January, 2021. And I really just want to open up a sacred space, an intentional space for doulas to um, be seen, but also to uh, get exposure to the Wild Awake Doula Method, which was um, something that I also just wanted to put my little stamp on this year, which is um, inter interwoven care for yourself and your clients. So it is making sure that your self Care is actually woven into your business model, that it's woven into your pricing. Your self-care is woven into how you care for others so that this work can become sustainable because the average burnout rate for a lot of doulas, for a lot of soul-centered businesses, as you probably know, is like less than four years. I think last time I checked for doulas, it was less than two years um, of full-time doula work. Um, and then they're done and they're, they'd rather just go sit somewhere and gather a paycheck because they're exhausted and I cannot blame them. Um, and so my, my job here is to try to help people battle burnout, but also accept it when it comes and have resources and know what to do um, so that we can all sustain in this work. Oh, I, I was like, which thread to pick up? So yeah. <laughs> I, I want to go back and talk about imposter syndrome in a second, but before we do, there's my, my pin, I'm pinning it in my brain yeah, and sharing it with fun. you. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into this, like this integration, because you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier that, you know, we can actually weave our self-care into our businesses. And you mentioned it with like things like pricing and like, and with your client care. And I mean, that two year number is, is, is kind of terrifying actually, like that people are burning out so quickly that we can imagine why I'm, I'm wondering, you know, kind of just like top level, is there anything in particular that you've seen that has really helped people to shift that so they can start to have a, a sustainable view of how they can keep showing up to this work for the long haul? Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's not being afraid to give back to themselves. So um, what I see a lot in some of the tools and things that we mentioned previously, like pricing is a bunch of doulas underpricing themselves. Um, they cannot afford to sustain um, on the low prices that they that they're putting out into the world because they are either afraid of their worth, they're afraid of their knowledge, they're afraid of how much they might not know, um, and they're afraid of their capabilities and how to face that. So um, I find that they are not sustaining and they're having to um, pile in a bunch of work. They're having to overwork. They're actually building their businesses in which the only way they can sustain is to overwork themselves. Yeah. Um, and then that is with no breaks. That is with, you know, uh, not even realizing I'm like talking to these doulas who are spending 12 hours at births doing hip squeezes. And I'm like, what does your body feel like after that? You know what I mean? Like, when is the last time you had someone lay hands on your body? When is the last time you got a massage? And, you know, even 
just anyone who who works physically with their bodies and their bodies are contorted into odd positions and they're using, you know, muscle groups for hours at a time with people. I'm just wondering, like, how do you expect that to be sustainable for your bones, um, for your tendons? And so um, I have found that being able to work with people in a realistic pricing structure that allows them to remain accessible to their community that they would like to serve, as well as not cheat themselves out of a sustainable career, um, will allow them to make sure that they're getting a massage at least once every six weeks if you're constantly attending births, to make sure that you can afford to take the entire day off if you spend the whole night at a birth um, previously, and that you're not feeling guilty about it. And not only that, but leaning on one another, uh, leaning on one another for support, for information, so that if you feel that you need to step away or have a backup, um, that you can do so and not be sweating it. Um, It's really creating community as well as self-empowerment. Not that you need the community to survive, but that leaning on the community allows you to sustain for longer periods of time. And whether that's leaning on other wellness practitioners, massage therapists who I've spent four years bartering with a massage therapist in Austin mm-hmm. just to make sure that I can get massages, even if I can't pay for it. But also um, that was a huge, um, that was a huge uh catalyst to me starting this fund, to me starting this, this nonprofit um, uh, that is, is going by the nickname Black Birthing Lives Matter. Um, Technically, it's the Wild Awake Doula Fund or the Wild Awake uh, Wellness Fund in general. Um, And this fund is specifically to support Black and Indigenous uh, wellness and birth all around. And so this not only includes being able to supplement, I wanted it to kind of work as like a little bit of like a gap insurance for Mm, for Black and Indigenous doulas, because we are trying to be accessible to our community, which are, you know, Black birthing people um, who have uh, a huge huge discrepancy in terms of wellness and, and access as well as, um, as well as mortality rates, um, especially in the, in the healthcare community, um, and those who are not delivering at home and delivering in the medical industrialized complex. Um, but we we're noticing that, you know, we have to bring our prices down because these, these people who are indoctrinated into poverty due to our, you know, uh, horrible American culture in terms of, you know, the racism and white supremacy that is interwoven um, into this space. And so that, you know, if you have a family that can over only afford to pay you a couple hundred dollars or, you know, $50 or can't afford to pay you anything at all, that that doesn't mean that that doula needs to go hungry, <laughs> that that doesn't right. mean that they should be sacrificing themselves on the altar of birth to be, you know, and serving for hours and hours, making no money. I truly believe that to end the scarcity paradigm, we have to provide and it causes, it's a need of a redistribution of wealth. And so um, thankfully I've been able to collect funds to not only pay out doulas um, who need training, who need to go to doula uh, trainings and, and different seminars and want to be mentored and want to be able to have an exchange of money for that. And it maybe cannot come from their pockets, but it's also so that families can apply for money. If families need to apply for care, um, if a black birthing person needs to go to a pelvic floor therapist postpartum and can't afford it um, and doesn't have health insurance, Um, so that they can apply for funds and just to be able to cover the realm of Black wellness and Indigenous wellness for all who need it, both on the provider side, as well as being able to provide care um, just to people. So we're we're still at the very, very beginning growing stages. Um, 
This year we did raise and give out um, over 10 grand. So that oh, was, scout. Um, yeah, that was like a big, big, big deal. Um, awesome. Big, big deal. Um, and then obtaining the 501c3 status just means we can do even more. I am heavily, heavily avoidant of taking large um, grant money because grant money tends to come with strings and it tends to come with a lot of bureaucracy um, and people telling us what we can and can't do with the money. And so I am keeping it very grassroots um, in yeah. terms of just collecting money in an organic way. Um, so uh, we are getting the word out and getting uh, more people involved. And I am just super grateful for where it's going. Um, this is, I mean, one of the most exciting things that I saw this year. I'm so glad that you shared with us about where this is coming from and where these funds are going, because there's absolutely no reason why, yeah, why these doulas shouldn't be able to get paid while supporting folks in the community who can't afford this for all of the reasons that you said. If our, if our, if our listeners would like to support this fund with <laughs> their money, nudge, nudge, wink, yeah. wink. <laughs> um, no, seriously, well, where, where's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so on my on my site, and I will definitely send you this link as well, just so awesome. the listeners can have an easy access for it. But my site is scoutwildawake.com, um, exactly how it sounds. Um, and if you uh, do a slash donate um, uh, as a slug past the past the URL, um, you will come to the donation page where you have an option to donate through buying a t-shirt, um, buying a hoodie, um, buying any of the merch, as well as um, donating directly through um, Venmo, as well as just like regular credit card uh, donations as well. Awesome. We'll make sure we get that linked up in the show notes as well. Um, so we can, we can all support and help to redistribute those funds. Um, that's super critical work. And how has it for you personally been like stepping into that place of, of taking this, this responsibility? I mean, it seems like such an exciting evolution of your work. It doesn't feel like a, res I mean, it's a responsibility for sure. It doesn't feel, I guess, stressful. Um, awesome as I usually uh, feel with a lot of responsibility. Um, I, uh, my, my partners kind of joke with me all the time because they're like, well, you've just been running like rogue, like nonprofits out of your Venmo for like two years. So I'm glad you decided to actually <laughs> do this legitimately um, because I have just been known as that person. Um, I like to figure out a way to collect money. I, I have the, the, the blessing of being very plugged in. And so um, I like to collect money and then quickly give it away. And so um, through giving out this 10K, I always tell people I never have more than like $2,000 in the fund account at a time um, because I give it away as quickly as I get it. That's mm -hmm. how in demand um, and how much need there is. Um, but I love it. I It's it's fueling to me. It's invigorating. Um, there's nothing like being able to provide someone with something that they need um, in real time. And I think that because it's so grassroots, there are so many people who are just like, not quite sure if it's real. Um, there are so many people that just like apply and they're kind of like, well, I'll, I'll take what I can get. I don't know. I'm shooting in the dark. And then, you know, when I come through and, and within a matter of, thank God for technology, because I've been able to use Venmo for this, but in a matter of minutes, being able to just Venmo people as I I check all of their credentials and check all of their stuff through their application and being able to just send them money so that they can go to a training, um, send them money so that they can 
obtain care in the way that they need um, is is insane to me. I mean, there was one doula that reached out to me through through this that just needed money um, because they had been driving their own clients who who had working partners who could not attend births. They had been driving clients to the hospital in their car, um, mm-hmm. and that their car note uh, they were fifty dollars late on their or fifty dollars short on their car note, and that their car they were worried that their car was going to get repossessed. Um, and they wouldn't be able to not only drive, you know, drive themselves around. I mean, this person wasn't even worried about how they were going to like get to the grocery store. They were mostly just like, I'm worried about my clients who I'm driving to the doctor's office and I'm driving to the hospital um, and uh, being able to provide them with with funds to to be able to help them in their wellness and be able to make sure that they can still run their business um, because they are essentially working for free um, mm-hmm. is, is just filling to me because I know that we're all helping to get the work done. And so it's, it all, it all kind of started with, I, I will tell, I tell everyone all the time that if I ever get the chance to meet Michelle Obama, um, that she will hear <laughs> this story from me, but it all started with Michelle Obama coming to, to Austin um, about a little over a year maybe probably now I mean it feels like eight years ago but it feels almost probably realistically almost two years ago Michelle Obama came to Austin and um, everyone was very excited in the black community here and then as quickly as we were excited we were deflated because the tickets started being sold at over a hundred dollars and that quickly meant that many black people could not go Um, and I just thought that was so unfortunate so I just went on Facebook and I knew that I was connected with a couple of, um, you know, people who had a little bit of extra cash, um, especially from from the white community who wanted to help. Um, and I just posted a status and I was like, hey, I have a group of like, you know, some some women that would love to take their daughters to see Michelle Obama. We would love to hear her speak. And if anyone can donate funds so that we can wait in line for tickets like that would be greatly appreciated. And within less than 12 hours, we had, you know, over, you know, you know, eight, $900 come in um, that we quickly handed out so that we could all like sit in line and get the tickets. And then we took a group of us. It was a group of about 10 of us. Um, and some of them got to bring their daughters as well, uh, who went to go and hear Michelle Obama speak um, on her book tour. So uh, that was like my first little, um, my first venture into just going rogue and trying to (laughs) distribute wealth and do this Peter Pan style of of, um, business uh, with a quickness. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And like, it's, it's so, I think, I don't know, gonna say heartening really that like when we keep things small how fast we can create change like that just like you were saying like with with grants and like the the bureaucracy of it like it's hard to actually make things happen but you're able to literally turn around and help somebody like today (laughs) and that's like that's the real power of of kind of yeah like community level like redistribution and care I think yes absolutely absolutely thank you Oh, well, thank you for sharing about that. And we'll definitely get that linked up in the show notes, y'all. Um, so it's like, so we have to talk about Clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> have to talk about imposter syndrome, but I really want to talk about Clubhouse. So let's talk about Clubhouse first. <laughs> we have to talk about Clubhouse. So you, like, you've been on Clubhouse for like less than a week and it has changed your life. What's going on? <laughs> I, I'm, it's so crazy to me. I, I mean, as you all know, as you're listening to all of this on a podcast, um, I am very into podcasts. I'm very into audio. I'm a very, um, I'm a, I, I've always heard from people 
people that I have like a radio voice. So I think I, I have a lot of success just in like the, the realm of sound. And so what really caught my eye about Clubhouse is that it's all audio based. Um, there is no video chat. There is no, um, you know, it's not complicated. It's not convoluted. It's very straightforward. And it's um, a lot of information based and community based audio rooms. Um, and I just got invited by, uh, I call her a business sister of mine. We're just like these like business sisters that we work a lot together. And um, she's actually co-facilitating that uh, BIPOC relationship retreat in February with me. Her name is Tierra. And um, she is a black wellness worker in Austin. She just invited me to this app. I hadn't really heard about it. Apparently it's been big. It's been getting big over the last couple of months, but um, she invited me to it and I have not gotten off since. I am just <laughs> always on Clubhouse. And I have to tell you that um, yes, a little bit of it is like social. Some of it is, you know, people just kind of going around and like kikiing and socializing and gossiping. But a lot of it is business driven. A lot of it is um, business oriented. And there is so much open heartedness on this app mm -hmm. of just genuine people wanting to help other people. I mean, there is zero way to make this lucrative for you in any type of money, uh, monetary way. So like um, in terms of just people like charging people to get on Clubhouse, like like that's not happening right now. I don't see a way that that could ever happen, not in terms of the app, but I mean, in terms of just people bringing their businesses on there. Um, it is just a open range, um, open hearted space. And I will tell you that I, that not one day has gone by that I have not um, made a networking connection, at least two or three. Um, and I am like, my January is almost booked up with just like phone calls, like networking phone calls um, in, in the space that I create in my calendar for that, um, just with people from Clubhouse who are interested in, you know, collaborating, interested in offering me information, inf interested in information I would like to offer them. Um, so it's this just this open stream of an exchange that is is quite beautiful, if I'm being honest, and it's just very um, organic. And I'm I see it in a very small space right now. I have a feeling it's going to get really big next year, um, but I it has been changing my mindset, if I'm being honest. It has been really changing my mindset and also um, helping me create an initiative in my own life with things that I had allowed that imposter syndrome to creep in on and I had been putting on pause. Ooh, I was like, tell us more. How I was like, I want to yeah. hear about like, like, like cl Clubhouse is changing your life. This is like, the, yeah. I wish you should be like, hey, Clubhouse, you guys need to listen to this episode. I, I know. I'm really just like, I promise they're not paying me. I mean, I don't even know who created this app. I, I honestly didn't even know what it was. When I first got the invite, I was like, is this owned by somebody? Is it only one room? Like, I was very confused. Um, but I've actually been talking to just rooms and rooms. I think one of the first rooms I got into on there was was with black doulas. So I was mm -hmm. taught, I spent the whole first couple of days talking to other black doulas um, on Clubhouse. Um, and then I quickly ventured into a room about the COVID vaccine, um, a very, very authentic room filled with, with Black people, once again, around uh, medical trauma and, and uh, the distrust of the COVID vaccine, but it had about 50 Black doctors um, in the room talking about oh, wow. like, you know, how this vaccine is going to change everything and help and help us as a culture and society, which is incredibly helpful for so many people who I've been trying to usher through the medical trauma of not trusting the medical system, which is understandable, right? Yes, it, um, very. So it's just, it's, it's just this life-changing thing. But then I started 
stumbling into some black business rooms and and finding so many people. I, I stumbled upon a man who I started talking to who um, has a nonprofit and has an organization to help people reclaim um, indigenous land in their family. And, you know, I've always known it's never been a, a mystery. I've always known that I've had land in my family. Um, I am very lucky to know the origin of my name, Chavers. Um, I'm very lucky to to have that land and to to know about it. But I hadn't inquired with my parents about it. I hadn't opened that conversation in probably about 10 years. And so that led for me to to calling my dad and talking to him about it and him asking me if I wanted to do anything with it. And and just with all the ancestral work that I had already been doing in my own personal practice and my own spiritual practice this year, it felt like this beautiful culmination of everything I had been feeling um, into a realm because I don't take it lightly that there is a road in Tennessee uh, that is called Chavers Farm Road. Um, and mm-hmm. this this farmland is land that my ancestors were slaves on um, and we now own it. And it is um, even just my 37 acre portion of this farm you know, that's, that's just there right now. It's, it's overgrown. It's, it's just, it's sitting and it's waiting, it's waiting to be manifested into something. Mm. And I am now making all of these connections with these people who specialize into helping people figure out what they want to do with it and um, helping people uh, turn it into a space that can be, you know, a cornerstone for wellness and medicine for, for our people. So I am just making all of these like shiny, shiny connections that are just <laughs> like fireworks right now. And it's leading me to have all of these uh, conversations even with my parents and um, who I'm lucky are still alive and and reclaiming this land. And so just even in the last like four days, like my dad and I spoke on Sunday and we're planning a trip um, to drive up to Tennessee next year to um, meet with some lawyers and do some flyovers and get some views of the land and and, uh, see how we can start clearing it and, and see what we can do. So, I mean, that's what I mean. Like it's changing my life. It's changing my business and and where things are going to go. Oh, Scott, that is, first of all, that's amazing. <laughs> that is the greatest. Congratulations on like putting all those pieces together and like starting down that next path. And when I hear you talking about Clubhouse, like it's hard for me to compare it to something else. It reminds me a little bit of like Twitter and like 2008, 2009. Like, yes. <laughs> it's like kind of the closest based on what you're talking about and what I've seen, <laughs> where it's like people hadn't figured out how to monetize it really yet. Or like, you know, if you were Twitter famous, it wasn't for any yeah. like real reason. But there was this like sense of like conversation and camaraderie and collaboration, which is lacking in a lot of our so-called social spaces. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I told you before we hopped on, I, I, ha- I have gotten on Clubhouse. I feel very cool. I am <laughs> totally terrified that I'm going to like do something wrong. So I don't know how to use it yet. So I need to work on that. But it is like the, the, this way of like kind of stumbling into rooms and then getting to hear just, yeah, absolutely brilliant people talking about a wide variety of topics and like then to make those connections, it's, it's going to be really exciting to see what happens. And especially like the black entrepreneur space on clubhouse is like, is just amazing and really exciting, especially with the ongoing like shadow banning, et cetera, that we're seeing on Instagram. So I'm really, really excited to see what happens. 
Absolutely. I agree. And I do agree with the, with the, with it ringing true to Twitter um, on clubhouse. You really only have the option to link back to two social medias and one of them is Instagram and one of them is Twitter. And so how, because clubhouse is so simplistic and there is no messaging on there either. There's none of that. Um, most of us have been communicating where when we find each other in rooms, we click on each other's Instagrams and we kind of just like DM in that way. And so I found it to be sort of useful in a way of still being able to use Instagram without having to rely on like posts and things that could, mm -hmm. um, get you flagged, especially in the sex educator realm. I've definitely yes. experienced um, a little bit of that banning and my account, um, one of my accounts almost got deleted last week. So, but I do, I do completely resonate with how accessible everybody feels. Um, that's something that I still really liked about Twitter is that you have the ability to, to direct tweet someone and they might initiate a conversation with you um, publicly. And it might be someone who like has a name or a check mark <laughs> or, you know, like it might be. And so just being in clubhouse with people, you know, uh, who own businesses, people who've been doing things that maybe you're interested in doing, um, people who, uh, there are tons of comedians on there. There are tons of celebrities also on there right now. Um, everyone just seems incredibly accessible and everyone seems incredibly open to share and create community. And so I've just found it to be a really magical place to, to get involved in. Oh, Okay. I, hearing you talk about it, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out <laughs> how to, how to mute and unmute instead of like clapping or liking. I, I'm going to do this. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's so, it's always so fun too, just to see like a new, yeah, a new way of connecting emerge and um, kind of come across our communities and see, see what people make of it. Um, yeah. Are you hosting rooms yet? Are you like, Take oh, clubhouse scout. That part scares me. That part makes that part. <laughs> yes, I actually have one scheduled um, with uh, Tierra. We're going to be talking about the relationship retreat on Ooh. Sunday evening. Um, so we made our first scheduled room. Congratulations! Um, thank you, thank you. Um, I there there. That's also something that I feel like is very organic about the space is that you can schedule a room um, and speak however you want privately with people publicly, um, and then in order to create like a space, or I guess they call them a club um, where you can regularly just have people come and visit and expect your rooms to be shown. Um, you have to start a room uh, just at least about once a week, I think for like six or seven consecutive weeks. So oh. they, they kind of, they're kind of gauging like who's actually going to be here um, to keep people from coming on and just trying to use it for like business or just trying to use it um, just for, for gain. Um, they're really trying to make sure that people who are here and who they're giving a platform are also contributing. Um, so uh, I have, I've started the venture down the rabbit hole of, <laughs> of opening up spaces. And I also plan on having some of the Wild Awake doula um, decompressions and meetups and things over Clubhouse next year in mm -hmm. 2021 as well. Awesome. Okay. So everyone come find Scout on Clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> you can come find me too, but so far I'm just, I'm a lurker, but maybe that'll change. Um, and, <laughs> um, and, oh, I want to, I want to respect your time because we are, we are at time. Um, this conversation has been so delightful and I so appreciate you sharing some deeply about your experience and about where you're heading and the work you've been doing. Thank you for your time today, Scout. Thank you so, so much. It was a complete honor to even be asked to be in your space. So I, I am just so happy to even be here. Thank you. And we will link up everything, but quick recap, Scott, where can people find you on the internet? 
Yes, you can find me. Um, you can honestly search Scout Wild Awake on Google and I will definitely come up. Awesome. Uh, my website is scoutwildawake.com. You can find me on Instagram at scoutwildawake. Um, and feel free to shoot me a DM if you are curious about any of my other accounts or any of my other offerings. Awesome. We'll link all of that up in the show notes. Scout, it has been such a treat. I hope that you are enjoying lying in bed and that you have a restful and easeful and joyful rest of your day. <laughs> yeah, same to you, Ashay. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone listening, thank you so much for listening to the show. You're the reason that we do this. If you enjoy this, please make sure you go check out Scout's work, go donate to the doula fund and uh, yeah, come say hi to us on Instagram and let us know what, what, what touched you, what touched your, what touched your heart and soul about our conversation. And I'll see you all next week. Bye for now. Bye.